Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of We Liked You First, the podcast where we put the spotlight on talented emerging writers and actors. This week we bring you Homes and Watts by Jared Mendenhall. Stay tuned after the performance to hear an interview with Jared, this week's writer. This week's cast includes regular cast members Austin Jordan as Loch Ness Holmes, Tanner Ralph as Dr. Johnson Watts, and Logan Lindholm as the handsome narrator. Enjoy. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of We Liked You First. To set the scene this evening, a cemetery. Two men stand over a grave, staring down at a gravestone, which reads, Here lies Robert Black. It is a dark and stormy night. Frankly, I feel that it is important to point out that tales which begin this way never seem to turn out well for those involved. That being said, I need this job, so here we go. As I mentioned before, it is rather dark and unusually stormy for this time of year. Two figures, not much more than silhouettes in the shadows, stand over a large hole in the ground. They are Loch Ness Holmes and his long-suffering sidekick, Dr. Johnson Watts. London, Ohio's? Ohio's second most famous consulting detectives. Do me a favor and don't ask who the first most famous duo is in that area. It's a rather touchy subject with these two. Holmes is the lanky fellow in the trench coat and bowler hat and Watts, who is much shorter and somewhat rounder than his counterpart, is the one who is dressed more like a poor imitation of an Ivy League professor. Tweed jacket at all. <laughs> Both are looking a little somber as they stare into that abyss in the ground at their feet. Try and ignore the fact that they also appear a little perplexed. Please, don't be alarmed. This is how they usually look. Let us listen in now. Let us watch the second most famous consulting detectives as they work. Holmes, don't you find it a bit unusual? I mean, why do it this way? Isn't it strange to find a body all the way out here? Indeed, dear Watts. I find that most villains who do foul murder will leave the bodies of their victims where the blood can stain a lovely Persian rug, or in bed where the smell will never come out and there's no choice but to throw the thing out. It's how I got such a good deal on my bedroom set, <laughs> after all. But one thing baffles me, however. Why take the time to bury the body? Why indeed? A most disturbing development. Very well. Let us review the facts as they have been presented to us. We receive a phone call from an anonymous informant early last evening. What time did the call come in, dear Watts? I believe it was around 5.45 or possibly a quarter to six yesterday evening. Precisely. A most auspicious time for a telephone call, don't you think? I suppose. If you mean that it was auspicious in that it interrupted your Netflix binging of Dexter. In order to catch a murderer, you must be able to think like a murderer, my dear friend. I was simply allowing myself to descend into the mental foundation of a killer. It was a good thing, too, since we find ourselves with this most unique puzzle today. Besides, Michael C. Hall is so, so good in that show. Oh my, he is very good, isn't he? I have never wanted to move to Florida as much as when I am watching that man dismember people. 
Holmes and Watts both stare off in the distance, lost in thoughts of Michael C. Hall. Oh, Michael C. Hall. Yes, Michael C. Hall, moving on. Um, well, back to the facts, then. We received the call telling us to come out to this park today at noon. Uh, which we didn't do. It's closer to midnight now, I would think. Exactly. Before I explain that particular precaution, I would like to return to our other, our rather well-informed informant. Now, if I were a betting man... But you are. What's that now? A betting man. You are one. And you're quite bad at it. I've explained this to you, Watts. You have to play the odds. As a master of deduction, I naturally have been three steps ahead of those silly gambling dens this entire time. Of course, my friend. Of course. Of course, he wasn't. Very good. Now that that has been cleared up, I have... It just feels like you're more four or five steps behind. Now, wait just a minute. I have never... And like you've fallen down a flight or two of stairs. Well... Anyway, you always talk- Or maybe you were pushed down those same stairs by some mafia hitmen, or the Girl Scouts because you couldn't pay off your gambling debts. He never did pay them back. Have you ever seen how much samosas cost? <clears throat> never mind. Very well, Watts. You have made your point. Shall we get back to the case? Apologies. Please continue. We were going over the facts. As I was saying, if- I were a betting man. <clears throat> anyway, I would surmise, based on the facts, that we are being set up. Set up? Uh, by whom? Or by who? Or is it whom? That is, dear fellow, precisely what we are here to find out. Holmes steps around the grave and begins to circle it as he speaks. First, we find out, through an anonymous tip, that a body would be found buried in this exact spot. Our so-called informant tells us to meet here at noon. Which we didn't do. Exactly. Now tell me, dear Watts, how did the caller know enough about my personal life to be able to predict within a few minutes' time the exact moment in which Dexter was to be found out by his detective colleagues within the show, possibly ruining the carefully cultivated lie which was his life? Such a good scene. Truly. Now, knowing this, we can surmise that the caller also knew that this was the defining moment that inspired me to become London, Ohio's most famous consulting detective. Well, second most famous. Not after tonight, good sir. Not after tonight. Don't you see? There's a correlation between our informant and the killer. There is. But of course, my friend. Isn't it obvious? The informant must be the killer. Therefore, we must find out who he, or she, actually is. Only then can we discover the reason behind this most bizarre murder. Or who, or whom. Uh, most impressive. Oh, it was nothing too difficult. I merely implemented my mastery over both my mind and that of the criminals. I am considered a criminal mastermind, after all. <laughs> Is that what you really want to be known as? Don't be silly, Watts. Of course I do. <laughs> now let's examine the next fact. The dastardly criminal actually buried our victim in a casket approximately uh, 
move over a little bit. Let me... Six feet under the ground. Yes, and it took quite a bit of digging to get it out of there. Digging which you were suspiciously absent for. Well, someone had to case the area, didn't they? I left no stone unturned. I read the clues in the grassy lawns and in the smallest footprint. I followed my impressively honed instincts, which have never let me down. He was actually finishing an episode of Dexter. Uh, what about the time when you thought that your neighbor's chihuahua was a rabid hellhound, stealing souls and spreading chaos throughout your neighborhood? How many times must I tell you? The clues do not lie. Besides, the creature kept doing its business on my award-winning tulips, and I swear to you, on my dearly departed mother's grave, that its eyes glowed a hellfire red when it did. Very well. Uh, how about that time when you accused that lovely police officer of murder? He did have a gun. I still maintain that anyone who walks around blatantly brandishing his firearm in such a way is either guilty of murder or about to commit it. I think there's someone he might have shot that particular day. What was that now? Would you like to say that in front of the class? Uh, nothing. Shall we get back to the case? Yes, of course. As you can see, the murderer seems to have dressed up his victim in a fine suit and... Oh my. What is that smell? It smells a little like my mother's pickling recipe. His mother used a similar recipe. I'll give it out after the play. Something to preserve the victims, perhaps? Uh, here, let me try. Uh, mm. Mm, that's actually pretty good. <clears throat> that's the part of this case that I just don't understand. Is it a ritualistic murder or... Mm, you should really get in on this. Uh, or some kind of demonic sacrifice. It would explain why the collar sounded eerily like your... Oh. oh, yes, very good indeed. Like your sister over in Cleveland. It would indeed. It still amazes me just how well the collar could mimic my sibling's voice in order to lure us to this park in such a suspicious way. And the way in which she acted so upset. It was cleverly done. You will find that criminals like the ones we are dealing with will stop at nothing to achieve their villain villainous ends. What do you make of the unique way in which our killer left us this clue? You mean the part about the funeral? Yes. It was very cryptic. It was. However, no match for my intellect. <laughs> the word funeral comes from the Latin word funis, which means death corpse in today's English. Why say it that way, though? Obviously, to taunt me. I must think it all through. Funus, is that true? Can anybody Google that? Uh, Holmes wanders away from the grave, muttering to himself. What could it all mean? Why bury a body in such a beautiful park? Among all of these lovely stones, why take the time to place the victim in such a nice box, dressed up as if they were paying some sort of respect? It makes no sense. Worst of all, why call us to tell us about it? It's almost as if... Holmes rushes back to Watts's side. Watts, there's another clue that we have overlooked. I should have seen it before, but it was dark and you, you half buried it with your careless digging. Oh dear, what have I done? No matter, dear boy, for it's sedimentary. Well, I would hardly call all of that digging I did earlier part of a sedentary lifestyle. Not to mention the hike we had to go on just to get up here 
and the pickles are part of a keto diet, then there was... I literally have no idea what you're on about. Look at the stone, my boy. Our killer left us another clue carved into this rock. Now, if we brush away some of this dirt, we'll see what our murderer is trying to tell us. It looks like a name. And there's more below, see? It's almost too dark to make out. You're already rather dirty, Watts. Can, can you get a closer... Can you get any closer to read the message? Oh, very well. Oh, my! What have you found? What does it say? Oh, my. Well, it says here... Here lies Robert Black, husband of Nora Black. Why? That's my sister's real name. And Robert, well, we just called him Bob. It seems that the plot thickens. Holmes, you don't think that this... Well, this victim or person is actually Robert Black. Well, it could be. I haven't spoken to Bob in a few years. Not since the case of the missing toupee. This is the case that made them the second most famous consulting detectives. But no one really knows who the first most famous consulting detectives are. Didn't you mention something about a dead ferret during that case? I'd rather not talk about that right now, Watts. I'm trying to understand why our killer would bother with all of this dramatic production. They both are quiet for a few moments. Watts continues to brush dirt from the headstone, and Holmes paces while he thinks. Holmes? What time did the caller tell us to come here again? Not now, Watts. Let me think. Holmes? I think we should leave. Why leave, dear Watts? I'm almost certain that I'm closing in on our fiendish killer. Well, Holmes, it says on the gravestone that he died of natural causes. What gravestone? I thought this was a park. You told me, Holmes, you told me it was a park. It's what's on the sign. It, it says Hilltop Memorial Park. Holmes, I really think we should leave. <laughs> what, what has you so spooked, Watts? I believe that I have solved this, um, particular case. What? Impossible. That is absurd. I solve the cases. You just tag along and offer, how do I say, a cute little quips. Uh, would you like to hear my quip of a theory anyways? Oh, very well. Let's hear your attempt at a resolution to this case. Well, based on... The case of the Dirty Funus. That's what we should call it. Uh, sounds a little inappropriate. Anyways, as I was saying... How about the, the case of the buried Bob? Holmes, we are in a cemetery! Don't be absurd. The sign would have clearly said, cemetery. Listen to me, Holmes. I believe that we are in a cemetery. I believe that the person who called you really was your sister. I believe that she was asking you to come to a funeral, an actual funeral, one for her now-deceased husband. Also, I really believe that we should leave this place behind because, dear Holmes, I also believe that we have just dug up and defiled a corpse, one that I am pretty sure is your sister's dead husband. But, but... The call and and Michael C. Hall and and my show and and the hole and 
I was so certain I, c I can't. Holmes, snap out of it. Oh. oh, dear. What have I done? Holmes, listen to me very carefully. You have to focus. We need you to focus. Channel your inner Michael Carlisle Hall. Become the criminal mastermind. Just think for a minute. What would he do in this situation? We need Dexter. <laughs> You're absolutely right, Watts. This is definitely his kind of situation. It is just like episode three of the fourth season. Oh, don't tell me yet. I haven't seen season four. Right. I, I wouldn't want to spoil it for you. Very well, Watts. We have work to do. We needed a tarp, a boat, and some really snazzy theme music. I always hear Dexter's theme music in the back of my head when I'm making breakfast. Me too. It's so good. Oh, it is so good. <clears throat> also, I think I saw a tarp in that shed uh, by the entrance to the park. Very good. We are already halfway there. Come along, Watts. The game is afoot. Or, or a toe. Come along. Now you understand, dear listener, why these two are the second most famous consulting detectives in London, Ohio. Did I mention that London, Ohio only has two sets of consulting detectives? <laughs> I heard that! You villain! You, you fiend! Why, when I'm done disposing of this body, you're next, buddy. At least they're cleaning up this one. Stagehands don't get paid to dispose of bodies. Well, another case solved and all that. I did warn you after all. Nothing good ever comes out of a dark and stormy night, especially in a cemetery. Please, don't be alarmed. Just go about your business, citizens of Ohio. Jolly good. Man, I need a drink. to Watson Holmes, and we are sitting here with none other than the writer himself, Jared Mendenhall. Say hi, Jared. Hi, Jared. <laughs> How you doing tonight? Good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Um, well, um, tonight we're not joined by my wonderful co-host. She is um, at a wedding tonight um, for her brother, so we'll be missing her. So it'll just be me and you, Jared. <clears throat> So um, let's hop right into it, actually. Um, we had a lot of fun working with you this week on working on um, Homes and Watts. But Jared, this is a really clever um, comedy about the, about the detective relationship. It's definitely clear that um, your story, Homes and Watts, definitely draws a lot of inspiration from you know, Sherlock Holmes and, and Dr. Watson. Um, what other inspirations did you, did you play with in creating this story? 
Well, as like you've already stated, um, Sherlock Holmes is the main inspiration for for me writing this. I actually wrote this story um, kind of more just as a, a spoof during one of my creative writing classes. And uh, taking from Sherlock Holmes, because one of obviously Arthur Conan Doyle is one of my favorite, sorry, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle is one of my favorite authors. Um, I've always loved Sherlock Holmes, but I've also always been greatly influenced by some of the more comedic roles that are out there, uh, mainly like Monty Python. And my favorite of all time from from that um, generation is The Search of the Holy Grail. And I just, I like King Arthur, and I got a lot of some of those spoofs from, from I loving, you know, the legend of King Arthur and then what Mo- Monty Python did with, with that. Oh, that's really cool. Um, it's really interesting, you know, how you you've kind of married these two these two kind of styles. Because um, personally, I, I feel like you would say that, you know, Arthur Conan Doyle, he did write pretty seriously and he did write pretty dramatically. Um, okay, I, I, you know, and then we look at we look at, um, you know. We look at um, Monty Python and he is probably one of, you know, the Monty Python series of comedy is probably one of like the most you know recognizable or most influential um, use of spoof comedy. Um, they do such a great job of taking you know beloved things and making them super super funny. I, and I and the best one I can always think of on the top of my head is um, <laughs> is uh, the search for the Holy Grail, um, <laughs> and it's you know one of the most classic you know medieval stories of you know Sir King Arthur and and Galahad and, and Lancelot and they make it such a such a super super funny you know funny thing and in a way you kind of did the exact same thing with Sherlock Holmes you 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 turned them into a into a Monty Python's you know search for the holy grail which I find so interesting <laughs> <laughs> um and you know and, and again you know they are very similar to Sherlock Holmes and, and Dr. Watts and your your Loch Ness Holmes Got to make sure we say that it's not Holmes, <laughs> it's Holmes, and and Doctor and, and Doctor Watts Johnson, <laughs> which I think are such good names uh, for these characters, are are really such good parodies of of Sherlock Holmes, of Sherlock Holmes, man, Sherlock Holmes and <laughs> Doctor John Watson, um, and I thought that It'll was so clever. Oh my gosh, no, Loch Ness Holmes, which I I thought was just so clever. Um, I appreciate that. Thank you. Oh, no problem. Um, And I I can honestly say that I'm probably not the first to ever do it, but, you know, I had fun (laughs) just playing around with that. Oh, but like, I mean, like maybe not the first person who's ever made that parody. I, you know, I would agree. That's probably true. There's probably other parodies out there. Of Sherlock, you know, of Sherlock Holmes and, and Dr. Watson um, um, that are definitely out there, but I feel like this is definitely it's it stands on its own two legs as a as a worthy as a worth as a worthy spoof. Um, hey, thanks. Which which I think is cool and um, something and and you did something interesting with it as well, where you also tied in um, you tied in like themes of Dexter, um, the really popular <laughs> you know criminal the criminal mastermind who who's a vigilante serial killer. Um, could you talk, kind of maybe talk to me a little bit about how you decided that you were going to marry the idea of these private eye detectives with <laughs> who, who idol, who, who clearly like 
cosplay and idolize the Sherlock Holmes, you know, mythos, but also somehow marry a, you know, marry it into a, um, a relationship with a, with a criminal mastermind. How did you kind of play with that idea? Oh, geez, that was just kind of a happy accident. Um, at the time, <laughs> me and my, when did I write this? So me and my girlfriend at the time, who is now my fiance, who will soon be my wife. Um, Say that three times fast. <laughs> we, yeah, I know, right? Um, I just want to make sure I get all the titles in there. But we were we were watching, like uh, binge watching Dexter on Netflix at the time that I was supposed to be writing these assignments for my creative writing class. And it just kind of got stuck in the back of my head as Dexter is want to do. Like, it's such a good show that it, it really does just kind of get get stuck with you because you want to love this character who's, who's a serial killer, you know? He's a vigilante <laughs> serial killer, but yes, he's a serial killer. But you want to love him because he's so good. And you're hearing me use lines from from the play that I wrote. He's so good. Oh, he's so good. You know, but because he, it's true. And it just like, it gets stuck there. And it was hard to shake loose. And so the only way I could figure out how to do that was to incorporate him into this spoof that I was already writing and I thought it would be fun for someone who stood for justice and solving murders to be obsessed with a serial killer you know and want to be one <laughs> oh my goodness that's such a good comedic juxtaposition <laughs> um, and, and and everything you do at the beginning of at the beginning of your piece because you have the great disembodied narrator come in and he sets up this great grim scene um, and and you and you set up Holmes and Watts like their dialogue at the beginning really does set up a really great you know image of two really good detectives and and okay a detective <laughs> and his sidekick Ooh, and that's how I read it like and it, <laughs> I I love how when you read it though you, and you start looking at the characters Holmes and Watts do come across you know at least at first at first glance. As he's pretty good, like you know, they are the second best, you know, consulting detectives, which means they got to be pretty good, to you know, to be to be ranked at all. Um, and <laughs> and then and then they and then you start noticing these little things that are like, um, that's not right. Uh, <laughs> um, um, you're like, wait, <laughs> a betting man, um, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> or gambling debts and you start noticing all these things about them and you, you start noticing these two are really just really big fanboys um, of these two very different worlds um <laughs> which i which i thought was so which, which i thought was clever and even though it came i guess from what you said kind of like a, a happy accident um it does balance really well <laughs> in in the in the story because at the end of it um they really do make the flip right um, yeah, which which I find so which I also find really clever. They make the they start off trying to be the good guys, and they end they end the bad guys, uh, kind of <laughs> in a way. Because um, oh, there's you, no you kind know, of about it, dude. <laughs> kind, there's they, no kind they of they defile they a corpse. <laughs> <laughs> they they defile a corpse and they go hide it. They don't even. That's what I love about it too. Is they don't even just think we should just rebury the corpse, but they're gonna pick it up and they're gonna move it somewhere else. <laughs> <I'm> like <laughs> the no, <laughs> um, which I think is yeah, such a. Yeah, I don't idea. think they thought that through. 
<laughs> but it's still funny and it's also got this great moment where Holmes also looks at the narrator and he says, I heard that you villain, you fiend. Why when I come back, <laughs> when I get done disposing of this body, you're next, buddy. <laughs> um and it just shows this this full turn. Um this, you know, the full switch of the characters, which I think is is so funny. I, I think it's so clever. Um and I just remember when I initially read it, um, I had the thought, um, these characters really don't learn anything. Um, or they don't or they don't change. What in your what in your what was your motivation to make them change this way? I um, yeah. It's interesting that you say that because I actually looking at them, I didn't want them to change in the way that anybody expected them to. In life, I feel like and th this is going to come out wrong, but in life, I feel like everybody expects you to change either for the better, you know, yeah. most of the time, right? Yeah. But a lot of times we don't. A lot of times we don't change for the better. We Sometimes we change for the worse. Sometimes we take a step sideways when somebody should be asking us to take a step forward or backwards. So that's what I wanted to do. So I wanted to take it a step outside the box. And so that's why it was just kind of full reversal into, hey, now we're going to become these Dexter-esque serial killers instead of being, you know, uh, consulting detectives because we're not very good at that. And maybe we'll be better at this. I highly doubt it, but maybe they have hopes for being better at something horrendous like grave robbing. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. Does that I, make sense? That be, that would be like, that would, that makes sense. I'm kind of just sitting here in awe of that answer. It was a... <laughs> Because the the, the the play was so funny, and it and it was such a funny ending to see them run off and 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 be bad. I was kind of expecting a funny answer, but you gave me this really mature answer. Sorry. <laughs> uh, no, no. I can no, do it. I can do a sorry. funny one I, if you want. I, I, if you have one, no. No, <laughs> um, no I, I, I no, just mean I that. Don't actually. I just, that's that's the truth. No, and that, that's why I think it was such a good. That's why I loved it so much. Um, um, I, I really loved your answer. I, 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 the whole reason, I'm sorry, I took a long time to get to it, but I was, what I really meant to, to, to say to you is I really loved that answer. Um, I, I really did. Um, and you presented it in such a funny way. I guess I just wasn't expecting it. But I, I love <laughs> what, what you said, though. I, I love how that's, because that's a, that's a fact of life. Um, we do really kind of want the best for people. Um, and we do want people to, to be good and we want people to make good changes. And, and a lot of times when we, when we watch, you know, f you know, movies or read books or watch television shows, we do hope that, oh, yeah, the character at the end of it is going to be better than when he started. And sometimes they're not. Um, and this and like, this and, may come. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, sorry. I, I was kind of coming to it anyways. What were you going to say? I was going to say this may come as a contrary to some people's beliefs but i believe that you can't live, live your life based on somebody else's expectations you have to live your life based on your expectations of yourself and that's another mature answer and i'm so sorry i don't have a funny <laughs> quip for that one but there no, no, it is that's, and that's that's totally okay that's sometimes how i base a lot of my writing on right. things like that that was not no, proper but... english and i apologize oh <laughs> You're a writer. You should know better. No, no. You can edit some of this, right? You can make me sound really good. <laughs> For sure. 
Um, I sound better on paper, I swear. <laughs> me too, you know? Um, <laughs> no, but again, I mean, I like, I love that answer. Um, I'm going to try and just be serious for a second, just to, to reflect what you what you just said. You're, you're right, though. Um, we, you know, we don't have to worry about other people's expectations for our lives. You know, we're responsible for where we go. Um, we're responsible for the path we take. Um, and I think it's cool that in a, in a, in as in an entertaining way as you did with Holmes and Watts, you still reflect that, that message, um, which I think is such a, a such a, a good way of writing. Um, I think a lesser writer might've had them realize when, when Watts says, Hey, we're in a cemetery and I think this is actually Bob. I think the two of them might've a lesser writer might've ended the story there instead of leaving it open to the possibility that you did by having them run off and do something else. And it leaves your, <laughs> leaves the, the, the audience and myself wondering, oh my gosh, what's next? What are the- And I would extol upon your dear listeners not to follow the example of Holmes and Watts <laughs> and to actually try to make better choices in your life because <laughs> right. I don't want to see where this takes them. I really don't. <laughs> you know, in subsequent yes. episodes, you might actually get another Holmes and Watts play. Who knows? We'll just see where yeah. it takes them. I would love another Holmes and Watts play to see what happens next. <laughs> um, but uh, but but that's such a that's such a good way of of approaching this, and I, I do like that analysis. I love I love the way of thinking that it's something that I did not realize at first. Um, but that's something that's really cool to talk about now. And and you're right, we don't necessarily want to emulate that. <laughs> Hopefully, in their positions, <laughs> we would make better choices. But it, but it's also reflective of some of the the best dramas that are that are out there today. Like, you know, Breaking Bad is considered the greatest American drama ever made, and it does not end well for Walter White. <laughs> um, oh no. Um, he goes down a terrible path and leaves a wake of destruction along the way. Um, he's so good. Oh, he is so good. And we loved watching it. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we cheered for every time Brian Cranston won an Emmy Award <laughs> for that. Um, and so, I mean, but, it, but at the same time, you're, you're right, though. Um, we hope that we can take a lesson of, I hope I would make a better choice. And we should try and do that. Um, but it's, you know, it's still, it can still be entertaining and it, we can still learn from, we'll still learn from that. Um, thank you for sharing that, Jared. That's a, just wow. <laughs> um, that's awesome. Um, well, thank you. I'm not normally um, I, serious. I apologize. Oh no, it's totally fine. <laughs> you don't have to apologize. That was, that was awesome. Um, and I loved, I love that. I love that little, I hope our listeners really love, you know, love hearing this because this is, this is really cool. Um, but yeah. I, like I just like kicked a sad like puppy or something and just like left all the humor left the room. <laughs> no, I, I, I feel, po I, I mean like maybe it's not funny right now, but I do feel positive right now, which is really cool. Um, well, that's good. I have, a, I have a positive feeling. I hope you feel that too. Um, but yeah, um, I have a, you know, just kind of maybe going on with that, um, maybe departing a little bit from Homes and Watts. 
how else have you explored, you know, some of those themes, you know, or, or other themes um, in your writing? Um, do you do other kinds of writing or are short plays kind of maybe your main focus? What other writing do you do? Well, I actually, my main focus is um, fiction writing um, with a emphasis usually in fantasy, um, sometimes science fiction. Um, but for the most part, yeah, just fiction writing, um, short stories. I am working on larger pieces of fiction, novellas, novels, things of that nature. Um, but that's really my main focus. But I, I enjoy playwriting and I enjoy poetry because both of those other genres of the creative writing, um, I guess, regime, um, they both help me. I mean, playwriting mainly with dialogue and poetry mainly with actually writing more outside of the box of traditional um, creative writing. So I enjoy all the facets of creative writing. And so most of my classes at school have been focused on broadening that spectrum of of emulating, but also of developing, develop, bleh, excuse me, of developing, can I even say that word? <clears throat> of develop, <laughs> developing new and interesting ways of, of writing. Sorry, that took me quite a bit to get out. If that <laughs> makes okay. sense, I don't know. No, that does make sense. Like, you know, the, so you, you just mentioned like at school, you, you, st you know, you like, so, sorry, I'm trying to get my words wrapped around together now too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it's it's kind of cool that you said that your main focus is like novellas novels you know fiction you know those kind of styles of writing i'm like in fantasy and science fiction but the study of all of all the other styles of creative writing help you form a better view of your of your own writing yes awesome that's super cool and you know to be in like to be honest like I've I, I love writing myself too. Um, but I don't think I've ever really branched out of my own style of writing, which is I like to do a lot of playwriting and screenwriting, but I don't feel like I've ever really branched out a lot into into like fiction or poetry um or those other styles of writing just because it's not in my comfort zone. Um and I was just gonna maybe just ask this to you, how is getting out of your comfort zone of like fiction and other things, how is that maybe helped you even more? Oh, it definitely has. Um, it's itchy at first, but for the most part, it's, I find that any, any time I'm writing, whether it's writing poetry or playwriting or, you know, fiction, or even if I'm just writing a grocery list, depending on how I'm doing it, I'm finding if I kind of do that writing and I don't know how it fits objectively, but if I'm just, if I'm doing that writing with an open mind, I am actually learning something because I can see certain elements that I'm as the more I write, the, the more broad that spectrum becomes of things I'm noticing like, Oh, Hey, this, even when I'm reading really like this person writes in this certain way, look at the way they use their voice, look at the way they present this character, look at the, the way they portray a scene. All of these things I can actually draw from. Like, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm like ripping off what they're doing. It just means, hey, I can take these certain elements and I can take these elements from this other author and I can take these elements that I find strong and I can create something new. 
and then I can do it again in a different way. And then, it, you know, the third time I write something, I can do something completely new that's completely different from those first two styles. And in doing all of these things, I'm actually creating my own style, my own voice, my own scene. And it's just, it becomes beautiful, you know? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, oh, I love that answer, Jared. <laughs> um, that's so cool. I, I love how you said that the more that you've, you've been able to consume, um, the more beautiful you feel like your own voice becomes and the way you're able to develop it because you know more. Um, that's Absolutely. And it makes me hungry to both read and write because the more I do both, the more well-rounded it becomes. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, buddy. Oh, no, that, that's that's totally good. That, I mean, like, I just love hearing what you got to say. This is about you, Jared, not about me. <laughs> no, but I like hearing from you too, man. <laughs> oh, thanks, In fact, man. it's time for me to ask you a few questions. Oh, okay. <laughs> Where were you on the night of October 22nd, 1953? I, I can't answer that question. <laughs> and you know why. <laughs> oh my gosh. I just kind of want to say book em daddy o right now. Book em daddy o. <laughs> That's such a good line. I don't even think either of us were around in 1953, unless it was like a prior life or something. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. No, I'm just kidding. Um, oh my goodness. That's awesome, though. Um, <laughs> based on um, that last answer, like kind of the things you talked about, like the, the writing you're, you're hungry for, the love, the writing that you like to consume. Um, what are some of those writings that maybe you you feel have maybe influenced you the most? Like what authors or specific stories have have influenced you the most to help create the you know the writer you are now? Oh, how long do you have, man? Um, there are <laughs> there are so many, but I mean, at this at this point in time, like I I was lucky enough, even just these last six months, you have to realize I wrote. Um, Holmes and Watts two years ago, right? Okay. And this is the first time I've had a chance to put it to a platform. Like that's why I love your podcast so much is because oh, you've nice. given a lot of a lot of writers that that option and that opportunity. So thank you for that one. But oh, no problem. I just recently, over the last like six months, I've had a chance to revisit like all the works of Sherlock Holmes, and I'm I'm working on some other Sherlock Holmes um, type writing to kind of help me um, expand my writing styles. Because like I've told you before, I, and I think I mentioned earlier, I like to write fantasy. And so now I'm looking more into broadening it to a lot of speculative fiction, some, some more horror type genres and just different elements there. So definitely um, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle um, is a huge, huge part of my life. And I absolutely love reading about Sherlock Holmes and I always crave more every time I get to the last page. And so I've, I've looked at some other authors who have, who have attempted to continue the Sherlock Holmes name um, under their own name, you know, but I just, and I don't want to offend anybody, but I felt kind of disappointed <laughs> so far. Like I'm still okay. looking for, for the, the person who's captured that, whether in modern day or back in Victorian day england you know right um other authors i mean i'm a huge fan of of most fantasy i mean most people 
where I live will probably know the name Brandon Sanderson. I'm a big fan of that guy. Um, Patrick Rothfuss, uh, okay. Jim Butcher, um, a lot of these, um, some are strictly fantasy, many are urban fantasy. Um, I do I do love any author who creates a good character. I mean, I feel like a lot of the writing I do is very character driven. Um, right. I like to create, develop a character and I like to put them in situations and see what they will do with those, you know, like it's like throwing a, a wrench in somebody's wheel spokes of their bicycle and seeing what happens. Like, how are you going to react to this and sticking it in there and then watching the, the kid go like tumbling over the head of the bicycle yeah. and then you're like, oh, <laughs> sorry. So that's what I want to do to my characters. And I, I know that probably thinks makes my characters think I'm a, a jerk, but <laughs> it's, it's, that's, that's the kind of writing I enjoy is giving the characters opportunities to react. And if they're a well-developed character, then then they they will react most of the time in the way I expect them to. Sometimes I'm surprised, and I enjoy that even more because I'm like, that means the character's kind of taken on a life of their own. But I like these authors that write well-developed characters. So That's awesome. Oh, I love that answer, too. I just it made me think of when I was in college, I, I remember getting – I was in a creative writing class myself. And I remember one of the best pieces of advice was that was given to me, you know, the one of the best lessons I learned about writing was that um, good story doesn't happen to characters. Characters happen and they make good story. Um, yeah, that makes and, perfect sense. Yeah. And, and to be honest, you know, looking back at Holmes and Watts, um, as much as I love what happens to them and what they do, the best part about Holmes and Watts is Holmes and Watts. Um, their character and the things that they decide to do and the humor that they decide to, to do, and just the choices that they make are the best things. And that's very reflective of Arthur Conan Doyle. The best part about Sherlock Holmes is Sherlock Holmes. Um, it's not necessarily the Hounds of the Baskerville or you know any of those things like that. It's It's the fact that Sherlock is in the situation and he does something in the situation. And I think that's such a, a, a cool thing that I can, I, I guess that I'm recognizing from your writing is I can see the comparison and why it's good. Um, and that's you. something that I, that I really like. And I'm excited to see more of your writing like that now, because I'm like, ah, I want to know what you're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what characters are out there in, in your mind. Um, um, and I, 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 I happen to know you super well, Jared. Our listeners don't know that you're my uncle. <laughs> Not all of our listeners will know that. Um, and so I want to make sure <laughs> that I, I cover my basis so that they get to know you maybe a little bit as well as I know you. Um, and I, I want to I just make sure I ask some questions to make sure that they know the kind of person you are too. Um, and I don't want to neglect that part because I think you're such a cool person as well as a cool writer. Um, I'm well, just trying to think of, I'm trying to think of my next question. I know what I want to ask, but I'm just trying to think of how to ask it. Um, because we've heard you mention several times that, you know, you're in, you're, you're in school now and you're studying, you're studying writing. Um, what made you so passionate about wanting to write? What, what was, was there a, any catalyst in your life? Um, or was there anything specific that that made you say writing is going to fill my need? 
Um, what, what brought you to, to being the writer that you are now? That's a scary question, Patrick. And, no, <laughs> and answer uh, it any way that you feel appropriate. Share whatever details that you feel are, you know, relevant to that. Um, well, but I, however you feel appropriately to answer that. I'm happy to answer it. Um, okay. Once again, how long do you have? But no, I'm just <laughs> as long so, as you want. I guess I should. I could preface this by saying, about ten years ago, I lost my vision, and that's. That's probably the main catalyst for who I am today versus who I was, you know, 11 years ago. 11 years ago, I was actually an architect and I was studying to get my license in architecture um, down in California when I had some life altering changes, um, mainly losing my vision within a year and a half of life. Um, after that, I kind of had to put my life back together essentially brick by brick. And part of doing that was me moving to where I reside now in Utah. And the other part of that was a drive to have a career. And the hardest part of me losing my vision was having to let go of the person I used to be. Um, a lot of people will tell you that I could probably still be an architect today. There are, There is the technology out there to do so, um, and I agree with that. Um, for me, architecture was always something very visual. Like I could look at a space and I could visualize what it could be, and that's what helped me be successful in that career. Um, having lost my vision, I have a harder time doing that. I probably still could do it, but I wanted a chance at trying something different trying something new and some of the other classes that I enjoyed back when I was going to school for architecture were my writing and creative writing classes. Um, I've always had a proficiency for writing um, for the English language and so when I moved here to Utah and started putting my life back together I thought I would give it a shot and I first started out um, trying my major out in a communication degree so I could you know write using probably journalism. Um, I don't know if many people know that that's part of the communication major, whatever. But after that, I, I was kind of getting bored. Um, it wasn't creative enough for me, to be honest with you. I wanted to be able to write about dragons and magic, and none of that stuff happens very often anymore in society today. <laughs> so I switched gears and jumped to an English major. And for the next year or so, I was content doing that and took creative writing classes and was able to expand my craft. But at the same time, I missed some of the elements that came with the communication side of things. So now I'm actually doing a dual major, both English and communication. That way I could get the best of both worlds. So I get to do my creative writing. I get to do some of the more... Um, journalistic style writing that I enjoy as well and I get to do both so it's extended a little bit my ability to achieve my major to finish and get my bachelor's degree and get back out um, into working society and get a career but I find it more fulfilling to do both and it's given me that chance Wow, that's awesome. Did I, did I even answer your question with that? I just kind of and went like off you, on a random tangent. 
you answered a lot of my questions. I was just going to ask, you know, just to maybe to expound maybe a tiny bit more. Um, um, writing specifically, what does it do for you? Um, like, what does it do just for Jared? Um, how does that make, what does writing make you feel? Um, writing is my chance to be creative. Um, something else that I didn't mention was I used to paint and I did graphic design. I did a lot of different creative things, including architecture, because that was creating something, you know, in a three-dimensional setting. Writing is giving me that same, that same sense of creativity um, because I can, I can create worlds. I can create characters. I can create, you know, anything I really want to just by putting my hand to a, a keyboard. And that's, that's fulfilling to me. Um, wow. I, I'm sorry. Um, you made me a little emotional, Jared, just listening to you talk about that. <laughs> Stop it, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to pull myself out of it. Um, no, I, I'm just, I'm, I just, I, I hope my, the listeners, you know, will feel a little bit what I feel that, you know, you, you took a situation and you've kind of carved your own path out of it. Um, and I, I mean, like, I hope people can recognize, you know, how, how successful and how amazing you are because of it. Um, I, you know, I feel like I admire you, if it was even possible, twice as much as I did before the beginning of the interview. Um, so thank you for for being willing to to share some of those details um, about that, and um, and and also to explain a lot of the hard work that you've put into being good at this, um, because this isn't easy. Like I think a lot of people mistake that being creative equates to being easy um and it's not um it's not an easy thing to do you know we people who do stuff like this have to push themselves a lot further mentally sometimes than other people have to and like math or science where there is an answer and there is only sometimes one answer to that question you know like when you do two plus two is always going to equal four. There's always an answer. Sometimes until it, it doesn't. Until it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Oh my god, that was awesome. Someday, Patrick. Uh, someday. Someday it will equal something different. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's so funny. Um, but in in the the arts of in the arts of being creative, there is no end until the creator decides it's over. Um, and there's no definitive one way to tell the story or there's no one way to, to create the outcome. Um, and to be able to push yourself and say, I'm gonna create the world, the laws, the people, um, the events, the circumstances, the twists, the turns, you know, a lot of people don't realize how much work goes into that. And, you know, the fact that you went from one very, you know, in my opinion, one very difficult creative, you know, end to another, to another one, you know, I think is so such an admirable thing to do. Um, you just, you just didn't give up. And I think that's something that's awesome, Jared. Thank you. I appreciate that. So thank you. Um, 
as we kind of come closer to the end of our interview, do you have any other writing that's out there? Um, have you been published or is there writing out there that people can find about you or like, is there other writings you have like on the internet or in magazines that people can look up and read? Um, is there any of that kind of stuff that exists? Yeah, I've, uh, I've been published in a few of the, uh, the university journals, um, where I'm currently attending at Utah Valley University. Um, one journal is called Warp and Weave. Okay. It's a strictly fantasy and science fiction journal. Um, I actually won, won a first prize uh, award for my short story that I submitted, um, and that was a year and a half ago. Wow. Um, so the what the fall ugh. Math is hard. 2018 edition, and then <laughs> also was published at the same time in the more like mainstream fiction journal um, on campus. It's called Touchstones. Okay. And I'm being published for poetry this semester in Touchstones again, oh my which is gosh. exciting. So that's, that's fun. Awesome. <laughs> and then I also I currently write for the uh, the school newspaper as well, and I do have an author bio page. Um, you guys can all, anybody out there listening who's interested, um, can go to the UVU review and they have author bio pages and I'm, I'm on there. So awesome. It's and this is my first semester doing there. that. So that's awesome. Well, look at you just casually dropping. Yeah. I'm a published author. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a first prize winning author. <laughs> Did I mention I write oh. for a newspaper? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's I don't awesome. get paid for any of it, so I'm just like I'm waiting for that. I'm waiting for the checks to come rolling in. Come on, it's only a it's only a matter of time, Jared. Yeah. <laughs> um, we can we can only hope. No, we kidding. can only hope. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. So I would definitely tell people who have the access to to those things to go and look you up and look up some of your writing. What were the name of those journals called again? One of them was called. Uh, one is Warp and Weave, so W-A-R-P and W-E-A-V-E, so Warp and Weave. Okay. And the other one is Touchstones, Touch. all one word. Very cool. Touch, T-O-U-C-H-S-T-O-N-E-S. All right. So any of you listening out there... I don't know if it's going to help because, you know... Oh, I'm like, it would help me. <laughs> uh, I don't spell good. Well, what if you're dyslexic? I'm just saying, it could be hard. It, it is hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, any of you listening out there who have that, maybe who can find those those journals, definitely look Jared up um, and look up some of his writing. Um, Jared, is there anything you're doing currently? Like, are you doing any projects outside, you know, Right now, are you working on any novels that you're trying to get published, or are you working working on getting published in any other journals right now? Is there anything like you're doing currently, like that, um, like at the um, current? Time? I I'm currently in the editing process of several short stories that are okay. I'm being kind of being sent back and forth between some journals outside of the the university, but okay. And I'm always working on novels. I'm always working on novellas. Just like any author will probably tell you, they're always working on something, but nothing oh, sure. that I'm quite willing to commit to just yet because they're always changing and evolving. So. Oh, absolutely. So it's the life of the writer, right? Yeah, I've got, you know, <laughs> all sorts of things that I've got to get to eventually, but 
life seems to be keep getting in the way. <laughs> that happens. Um, but be sure to tell us when you get published big, because we wanna we wanna brag to the world that we liked you first. <laughs> yes. <laughs> awesome. Um, so everyone out there listening, um, make sure to pay um pay attention for Jared Mendenhall. He's the next big a big and up and coming writer. Um, if you're ever interested in submitting to our podcast, contact us at we liked you first at gmail.com. Um, or check us out on our Facebook page. Um, but yeah, this has been an episode with Jared Mendenhall, the writer of Holmes and Watts. Thank you so much, Jared. Thank you.